useless to say So I'll just live my life Of dreams of yesterday Chevrolet showroom across America, more and more people are looking at the car that's just out and just wonderful, the 1957 Chevrolet. Some are looking at Chevrolet's daring new front-end styling, the bold new grille, big beautiful sloping hood. Some are looking at Chevy's handsome new rear end with high fashion fenders and fresh new design. Everyone's enthused about the new color-fashioned interiors and the sleek command post instrument panel. And the biggest news of all, Chevrolet's fuel injection. The greatest engine advance since the overhead valve. Plus, four famous drives topped by new exclusive turbo glide that brings you triple turbine takeoff and a new flowing kind of going. So visit your Chevrolet dealers soon. See the car that goes them all one better. Number one in the USA, the 57 Chevrolet. Another public service announcement from Brill Cream. Finally, someone has reinvented the wheel. Hey, uh, you tuned into the ravings of a clown on Chester Radio. <laughs> Don't argue with the ball. Roger, we'll go. It's as good as done. The complete solution for your home PC. Welcome to the shoe. Come on and make yourself the home. Shh. Hello, my name is Jimmy Poppin'. Come on in, have a seat, make yourself the home. Not old or new, but middle school, fifth grade, like junior high. I don't know mofo if y'all peeps be. I don't know mofo, yo peeps. Fact to my home, cushy cry. Saturn and I'm hung like planet Pluto Hard to see with the naked eye But if I crashed into Uranus I would stick it where the sun don't shine Cause I'm kind of like Han Solo Kinda like a Han Solo, baby my own wolfie, I'm the Here we go Here we go You can call me cookie The roof, the roof, the roof is on fire That's right And you know what I say? Say it with me. We don't need no water. Let the motherfucker burn. Burn, motherfucker. Burn. Yeah. Just let it burn. That's my that's my motto. What's a motto? Nothing. What's a motto with you? 
Yo, yo. Yo. All right. Hey, good evening and welcome to the Ravings of a Clown this Monday, June the 30th, the year of our Lord, 2008. And it's a Monday. So you know what that means? Big, heavy sigh. In with the, you know, nostrils. Out with the lips. <laughs> Just, it's like a hypnotic voice, isn't it? So, yeah, just calm down, relax, feet up, head back. You do have head back permission for the duration of the show. That's right. For the next 120 minutes. <laughs> if anybody goes walking past you and they catch you in this obsequious position and they question you, usually you'll get something like, what the fuck? You know, they see you with your head back. People are used to seeing you with your feet up, but head back. That causes alarm in many cases. So here's what you do. You put up the hand, palm of the hand, in the talk to the hand position, and you simply say, head back permission. I'll, uh, I'll talk to you later. And either they'll, you know, humph, harumph off and grumble, or they'll join you with their feet up and their head back, because that's the primary position for listening to your old pal. You're tuned into the Ravings of a Clown. That's the name of the show. The station is... Jester Radio and me, moi, I, why, no one special, no big deal. No one important, just your old pal, your friend, your humble host, your slave, the Jester, coming to you from a secret location outside your universe. We're going to talk about what's going on in that sick fucking world of yours this evening, plus play some of your favorite shit, including Merrily Rush, King Harvest, Midnight Oil, Elliot Smith, Marvin Gaye. Uh, Lloyd Price, so much more. But yes, unbelievably, with all that awesomeness crammed onto that playlist, there's still room for one or two of your favorite tunes. So tell us what they are. We'll get them on the air. www.jesterradio.com. Click on request. Hanging in the Jester Radio chat room with Louis Lua. And uh, so why not stop by and say hi? What else we got? It's time to turn our attention to the headlines from high atop Just Radio Studios, the secret location outside your universe. This is my favorite part right here. Damn it. Slam it. Uh, the Pentagon said today it's charging a Saudi um, Arabian with organizing and directing the 2000 bombing of the USS Cole and will seek the death penalty. What's that? You say, but Jester, but you say, I hear you saying it. You're stumbling, you're mumbling, you're fumfering. You're saying, but this doesn't make sense, Jess. The administration has made it perfectly clear that they don't see terrorism as a law enforcement issue like those filthy liberals. They see it as a war how come we're charging? Oh, wait a second, wait a second. This guy's from Saudi Arabia. Doesn't uh, the United States, particularly this administration, have a special relationship with Saudi Arabia? Oh, what's that you say? 19 of the 20 hijackers come from Saudi Arabia, and yet we didn't attack them. Odd. Brigadier General Thomas W. Hartman, legal advisor to the U.S. military tribunal system, said charges are being swore out against Abd al-Rahim al-Nashiri 
a Saudi of Yemeni descent. It's important to know that because that's why the Saudis let him get away with it. So why we should know he's of Yemeni descent? Interesting. I wonder when they mention like serial killers uh, from the United States, but like they do the reporting in Europe, you know, like Italy or France. I wonder if they say an American of German descent. I doubt it. He's been held at the military prisoner in Gitmo since 2006. The charges still must be approved by a Defense Department official who oversees military tribunals set up for terrorism suspects if they are approved. Al-Nashiri will be the first person charged in the U.S. in connection with the attack nearly eight years ago. I don't know if you remember this. A couple of filthy pigs in a rowboat uh, rode up to the side of uh, the USS Cole and blew themselves to kingdom come. Uh, made a big hole in the side of the ship and a bunch of Americans died. Hartman said the allegations include conspiracy to violate laws of war, murder, treachery, terrorism, destruction of property, and intentionally walking across the lawn. 17 American sailors were killed, dozens wounded, when the Navy destroyer was attacked in the Yemeni port of Aden as it refueled. Al-Nashiri is also accused of a role in the October 6, 2002 suicide attack on the Limburg, a French oil tanker, the attack killed a Belgian crew member and spilled 90,000 barrels of oil into the Gulf of Aden. Al-Nashiri told a hearing at Guantanamo Bay last year that he confessed to helping plot the coal bombing only because he was tortured by U.S. interrogators. CIA Director Michael Hayden said early this year that Al-Nashiri was among terrorist suspects subjected to waterboarding in 2002 and 2003 while being interrogated in secret CIA prisons. Let me tell you something. They pick you up in the street. I don't care if you're a real terrorist or not. They strap you to that fucking thing and they dunk you. And in case you haven't seen what this looks like, then go out and rent yourself a copy of um, March of the Wooden Soldiers with Laurel and Hardy. There's a waterboarding scene in there. And let me tell you, man, you hold your fucking breath the whole time. It's going on. It's torture. There's nothing less. And I don't know about you, but once they start fucking <laughs> dunking me in water, I'm telling them everything I've ever heard in my life. I'm just repeating song lyrics, anything. Asked at a Pentagon press conference if evidence obtained by the waterboarding is tainted on account of the torture, Hartman said that would be considered a trial. We will look at the evidence, all the evidence that's associated with this case, Hartman said. Well, there has been an admission that there was waterboarding. There may well be other evidence in the case. That's not necessarily the only part of evidence in this case. According to U.S. intelligence, al-Nashiri was tasked by al-Qaeda leader Osama bin Laden to attack the coal and also was al-Qaeda's operations chief in the Arabian Peninsula until he was caught back in 2002. Hartman read a charge sheet alleging the following against al-Nashiri. He's a member of al-Qaeda, met with bin Laden right away. He rented apartments overlooking the port of Aden in 99 to prepare for the coal attack. His co-conspirators failed in an attempt to blow up the USS The Sullivans. In January of 2000, al-Nashiri and others salvaged the explosives and refitted the boat from that plot, and then they went to Afghanistan to discuss the reorganization of the plot with bin Laden. <laughs> sure they did 
when the call entered, this is just throw the word Bin Laden into any allegation. He talked to Bin Laden. Ooh, Christine Amanpour talked to Bin Laden. Has anybody questioned her? From the time I was arrested five years ago, they've been torturing me. It happened during interviews. One time they tortured me one way. Another time they tortured me a different way, Al-Nashiri said, according to the transcript. I just said these things to make people happy. They're very happy when I told them these things. Well, duh. That's why they torture you, to get you to fucking start singing. And they just hope and pray that it's, you know, of some use. I'm sure 99 times out of 100 it's not, because I'm not just saying this willy-nilly. I'm saying because statistics have shown that torture is an extremely unreliable way of gathering intelligence, in addition to it being inhumane. So what's the strategy here? Um, you know, the uh, Republicans mock when we talk about how terrorism is a, uh, a law enforcement issue. The Republicans get very upset. Oh, you fucking homo liberals, uh, you would treat this like a law enforcement. Wait till something happens. That's what they constantly bark back. And law enforcement is not strictly a reactionary system. So sometimes law enforcement can be preventative as well. So we put cops on the beat and to, to protect citizens, to preempt crime. And we could certainly do the same thing um, with terrorism. So I, I don't think anybody that says law enforcement is the approach for terrorism, not war, um, as a paradigm, doesn't necessarily mean we should wait for it to happen. That seems a disingenuous argument. I think the real argument is there is no generals, there's no uniform, there's no winning, there's no clear-cut goal. Um, they have boldface lied to us from the very beginning about the so-called goal of the war, which was to dis disarm the country of weapons of mass destruction. And then when, when that happened and there were no such weapons, then they just completely turned it around and said, well, isn't the world a safer place without uh, Saddam Hussein? Well, it may be, but you know what? It really doesn't seem like it since fucking thousands of Americans have died as a result of this war. And this, you know, it's escalating. It's getting worse. The, the Taliban is re-infiltrating Afghanistan. And we still don't have bin Laden. So what's even the point of uh, justice or vengeance or going after the bad guy if every time you don't catch him, you make believe it doesn't matter? But if you take it from a law enforcement perspective, then it makes sense. Then you go after the groups. You don't, you know, um, you know, you don't commit uh, U.S. military. You commit uh, law enforcement personnel. It's a different type of mentality. Meanwhile, uh, militants killed more U.S. and NATO troops in Afghanistan this month than in Iraq for the second straight month. A grim milestone, capping a run of headline-grabbing insurgent attacks that analysts say underscore the Taliban's growing strength. The fundamentalist militia uh, this month staged a sophisticated jailbreak that freed 886 prisoners, briefly infiltrated a strategic valley outside Kandahar. Uh, last week, the Pentagon report forecast that the Taliban would maintain or increase its pace of attacks, which are already up 40% this year from 2007, where U.S. troops operate along the Pakistan border. 
Some observers say the insurgency has gained dangerous momentum. And while June also saw the international community meet in Paris to pledge $21 billion in aid, an Afghan expert at NYU warns there's still no strategy to turn that commitment into success. Defense Secretary Robert Gates has noted that more international troops died in Afghanistan than in Iraq in May, the first time that's happened. While that trend is now two months old, in, in part is due to the falling violence in Iraq. It also reflects rising violence in Afghanistan. At least 45 international troops, including 27 U.S. forces and 13 British, died in Afghanistan in June, the deadliest month since the 2001 U.S.-led invasion to oust the Taliban. It's just getting fucking worse. And where's the analog to success? How do we know we won? Do we, is there somebody we need to overthrow? Is there somebody we need to catch? What is the goal here? Do, do, is there some guy with a, a chest full of ribbons who can sign a document and surrender like they did in you know, World War II? Because if there isn't, then it's not a fucking war. And, of course, it's not a war. The whole thing is a joke. They, they, um, they're building the world's largest uh, military base, the largest military base in the history of mankind in Iraq with a clear strategy to stay for a 1,000 years. So it has nothing to do with winning all this bullshit as soon as we have these people trained. Come on. What does it fucking take to train these retards? They train these fucking kids in Paris Island in six weeks. It's been almost seven years. 646-502-8600 gets you live on the air with the jester. Come gather around children wherever you roam and admit that the water around you has grown. Come gather around people wherever you roam and admit that the waters around you have grown And accept it that soon you'll be drenched to the bone If your time to you is worth saving Then you better start swimming or you'll sink like a stone For the times they are a-changing Critics who prophesize with your pen And keep your eyes wide, the chance won't come again And don't speak too soon, for the wheel's still in spin And there's no telling who that it's naming For the loser now will be later to win For the times they are a-changing Senators, congressmen, please heed the call Don't stand in the doorway, don't lock up the hall For he that gets hurt will be he who has stalled The battle outside region Will soon shake your windows and rattle your walls For the times they are a-changing Mothers and fathers throughout the land 
And don't criticize what you can't understand Your sons and your daughters are beyond your command Your old road is rapidly aging Please get out of the new one if you can't lend your hand For the times they are a-changing The curse it is cast The slow one now Will later be fast As the present now Will later be past The order is rapidly fading And the first one now Will later be last For the times They are a-changing Come senators and congressmen, please heed the call. Don't stand in the doorway, don't block up the hall. For he that gets hurt will be he who has stalled. There's a battle outside, raging. It'll soon shake your windows and rattle your walls. For the times, they're a-changin'. Can you believe that? Little Bobby Dylan, just a tyke. At the time, the jester himself on Jester Radio, you tune into the ravings of a clown this Monday, June the 30th. And, uh, you know, there is fucking, that's the thing that, you know, is just driving me bonkers the past few years. It seems like it felt back in the, you know, mid-70s that we were that fucking close. People were saying shit. People were doing shit. Nixon got on laughing and said, sock it to me. It seemed like we even made fucking Nixon bend. And we're going to report uh, up ahead that Bush and the fucking Democratic Congress voted in an approval for the budget for fucking $160 billion for the Iraqi war through and beyond his presidency. And is there nobody who could fucking stand up and just say this is wrong? I mean, is there nobody left? You know, these Democrats who whine and complain that, uh, the, you know, the, the Republicans have no fucking exit strategy have done what about ending this war? Got something to say about it? Well, you will before the evening's over. So jot down this phone number, 646-502-8600. Dial it up. Give us a call. Tell us what's on your mind. President Bush today signed legislation to pay for the war operations in Iraq and Afghanistan for the rest of his presidency and beyond, hailing the $162 billion plan as a rare product of bipartisan cooperation. Man, you know if George Bush is hailing it, that stinks to high heaven. This bill shows the American people that even in an election year, Republicans and Democrats can come together to stand behind our troops and their families. And this is another fucking thing that drives me bonkers. The Republicans are constantly talking about supporting our troops as if the troops are over there on their own. <laughs> and we just need to stand behind them, gosh darn it. They've chosen this mission. We didn't ask them to do it. What a load of crap. We're not supporting the troops. We're supporting this ridiculous fucking foreign policy. The troops are just 
tools. They're just weapons. They're pawns. We move them around like pawns in a chess game. And believe me, if you announce tomorrow that they're all going home, I guarantee you not a single one of them is going to stand up and say, no, I think I want to stick around, and I'd like you guys to support me. I don't think so. They hide behind, just like these cocksuckers hide behind the fucking children. Everything has to, you have to get rid of everything, the drugs, the whoring, the gambling, all because of the children. Like they give two fucks about the children. Every single time a child uh, commits a crime, the first thing they want to do is try them under adult laws. So I don't even know why they make fucking juvenile laws, why they make separate laws for kids. The second one of them does something wrong, you know, in our, and this is the way it always is. In our calm, rational moments, we think, oh, you know, there ought to be separate laws for children. After all, their brains are not fully formed. They're not, you know, savvy and wise to the ways of the world. Uh, um, they can't have the kind of hardened heart, uh, the mens rea, the the malice of forethought that an adult could have. So let's cut them a fucking slice and treat them as children. And the second they do something, you know what? Let's treat this. Let's try this cocksucker as an adult. Bush made clear to thank members of both parties in Congress singling out the the uh, some sponsors of the long delayed compromise measure for praise. His positive comments contrasted with the confrontational tone that's dominated the debate between Congress and his administration over Iraq. The legislation will bring to more than $650 billion the amount Congress has provided for the Iraq war since it began more than five years ago. For operations in Afghanistan, the total is nearly $200 billion. So we're talking $850 billion on this fucking fiasco. Now, just stop and think a minute. $850 billion. And what one-tenth of that could have accomplished in our country? Our nation has no greater responsibility than supporting our men and women in uniform, especially since we're at war, Bush said. What a crock of fucking disingenuous shit. No greater responsibility than supporting men and women in uniform? I, I dare say there are more greater responsibilities. And look who's talking, by the way. This is the guy who's running a fucking army. Uh, the hospitals look like, you know, fucking toilets. More soldiers are committing suicide. They're turning down uh, more benefits than ever before in history, ripping these kids off of their, you know, shit that they were promised, delaying them, forcing them to stay years beyond their agreed-to tours. That's how, they're, that's how this administration is supporting the men and women in uniform. And he goes, especially since we're at war. What? Well, <laughs> you're the fucking one who made up the war. What do you mean, especially since there's a war? You, you know, don't fucking piss on my head and tell me it's raining. This is a responsibility all of us in Washington share, not as Republicans or Democrats, but as Americans. Hooey. The package approved by Congress includes a doubling of GI Bill college benefits for troops and veterans. It also provides a 13-week extension of unemployment benefits, $2.7 billion in emergency flood relief for the Midwest, tens of billions of dollars for food aid, anti-drug enforcement, Louisiana levy repairs, and many other items. The bill will fund the war well into next year 
when their fate will be in the hands of Bush's successor. It also gives the next president several months to set Iraq policy uh, after taking office in January and spares lawmakers the need to cast more war funding votes closer to Election Day. So that's what they were really trying to avoid. Let's get this out of the way so by the time Election Day comes, don't forget we're voting for the, de- the, the, the senators and congressmen too. So they don't want this, their voting record to be too recent. Though it took more than 500 days for the new Congress to get it done, the combat forces serving in Iraq and Afghanistan will now have sufficient funding to carry out their missions through next spring. Senate Republican leader Mitch McDonnell, uh, McConnell rather, of Kentucky said in a statement the Democratic majority in Congress has tried unsuccessfully to force troop withdrawals and other limits on Bush's ability to conduct the war. Bush said... This bill will allow troops to prevail in Iraq and Afghanistan. Again, with no clear indication of what that word prevail means, since uh, every time we ask this retard, what does it mean to win the war? He says, well, we, we need to train them, get them all trained up, and so we can be sure that they're all trained. So, so then why are you building a fucking small you know, city in Iraq? the largest, uh, you know, military base in the history of mankind. Well, we're getting them all trained, and we're training them. That's my Bush. Democratic Barack Obama rejected a retired general's suggestion that Republican John McCain's military experience didn't necessarily qualify him to be president. As GOP surrogates lined up to label the remarks indecent and disrespectful. So this is another one of these things where some guy who supports Obama spoke out against McCain, uh, in this case, a retired general came forward and said, oh, McCain doesn't know shit. He doesn't have the military experience to qualify him to be president. And now Obama is trying to distance himself from this because he's been, you know, stuck with enough lemons lately between Reverend Wright, you know, and all this shit. So he, he's, he, he's not associating with that guy. He's saying, no, uh, that's disrespectful. And he's trying to preempt what he knows is coming is the GOP, their like reaction there, they're all practicing in the mirror tonight to look horrified. <gasps> oh, how dare you say that? He was locked in a cage for fucking five years in Vietnam. Blibbity, blabbity, blibbity. We're all so fucking easy to be uh, insulted. You know, in, you know, when they first created this system of suing people for damages, there was kind of a built-in filter in the system in that there was a kind of shame in like going to court with like your leg in a cast. It was embarrassing. You were like whining and complaining and it wasn't very um, sort of uh, stiff upper lip of you, if you will. And there was kind of like, you know, some aspect of being a, a pussy to it. And people were worried about how they were looked at, and they really only went and sued and complained if they really were genuinely hurt. They wouldn't go and put a phony neck brace on, uh, you know, because they'd be afraid, you know, like the fucking defense attorney would say, you know, isn't it true you're just a fucking whining pussy and your neck doesn't really hurt at all? But nowadays, there's just no shame. It's just this sort of entitlement culture that we live in where I've got to get paid. You know, it doesn't matter if it comes out of your fucking ass. 
We just have don't have a shred of fucking self dignity anymore. We were talking about last night about how we we need to just sort of wipe the slate clean and start over and start treating each other as if we're all uh, men and women of goodwill, noble and honest. And then you know I'm sure that the 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 lying sacks of shit will you know rise to the top you know qu- quickly enough. But it seems like now, every time somebody fucking says something, these the opposition is lined up to practice in front of the fucking, to, to go in front of the TV cameras uh, with their horrified act. Oh, my God, he said he's not, in, uh, doesn't have the military experience to be president. Holy crap, that just goes to show you uh, what a retard Obama's supporters are. Uh, because if anybody is qualified, locked in a cage in Vietnam, holy crap. I'm horrified. A day after retired Army General Wesley Clark, now an Obama supporter, discussed McCain's experience as a Navy pilot and prisoner of war in Vietnam on a Sunday talk show. His remarks set off the uh, pattern that's become familiar from innumerable earlier flaps over surrogate remarks during the presidential election year. The candidates, Obama and McCain, took the high road while the bare-knuckled language was left to their surrogates. At a news conference here today, McCain himself said of Clark's remark, that kind of thing is unnecessary and distracts from real pocketbook issue voters care about. Amen. Well said. But, of course, it's easy to take the high road when he knows that all his lackeys are running around pointing and saying, nigger, nigger, nigger. About the same time, Obama told an audience in Independence, Missouri, that McCain had, quote, endured physical torment in service to our country, and no one should ever devalue that service, especially for the sake of a political campaign, and that goes for supporters on both sides. So what they do is they have their dog bite you, and then they go, oh, down, boy, How I'm so sorry, he's never like that. The latest dust-up began on CBS's Face the Nation. Clark, the former Supreme Commander of NATO under Bill Clinton, said McCain's military service was not the same as executive experience. In the matters of national security policymaking, it's a matter of understanding risk, Clark said. It's a matter of gauging your opponents. It's a matter of being held accountable. John McCain's never done any of that in his official positions. I certainly honor his service as a prisoner of war. He was a hero to me and to hundreds of thousands of millions of others in the armed forces. As a prisoner of war, he's been a voice on the Senate Armed Services Committee, and he's traveled all over the world, but he hasn't held executive responsibility, Clark said. That large squadron in the Navy that he commanded, that wasn't a wartime squadron. Ooh, them's fighting's words. Wait, let me practice in the mirror. <gasps> no, that wasn't. <gasps> How dare. <gasps> How could you. <gasps> All right, I'm getting it. Roll him. Meanwhile, flanked by American flags, Barack Obama forcefully defended his patriotism today against anyone who would challenge it, declaring he won't stand for persistent rumors questioning his loyalty and aimed at uh, sinking his presidential campaign. People have been, um, you know, muttering about his middle name is Hussein and his his relatives. I've actually heard people say, oh, I don't know who, what, uh, you know, um, radical Muslims he's related to. Like, what? <laughs> fuck, you don't know what radical Muslims I'm related to. What do you know about anybody who they're fucking related to? Because his middle name is Hussein? And also because he doesn't wear the pin on the lapel, which is a stupid fucking bogus thing to wear anyway. 
However, he was forced to interrupt the launch of a week of 4th of July-related events in Harry Truman's old town to respond to Republican John, uh, rival John McCain's complaint that it was actually Obama and his campaign who were wrongly questioning the importance of McCain's military service. McCain said, that kind of thing is unnecessary. And the Obama camp agreed. Obama praised McCain's service. The Democratic candidate spokesman rejected yesterday's remarks from a prominent supporter, retired General Wesley Clark, who said that McCain's years as a Vietnam War fighter pilot and prisoner of war did not necessarily qualify him to be commander-in-chief. And by the way, it's, it's a correct comment. Being locked in a Vietnamese prison doesn't qualify you. Uh, as the president, but you know, there's not a lot of jobs that pre-qualify you to the, being the president of the United States. So it's a sort of a disingenuous remark, and I'm really just sick and tired of people telling me what's wrong with the opposition. I have a fucking brain. I want to figure that shit out. Just tell me what your position is. Why can't we just get people to do that? To shut up about. You know, oh, be, and they, and they always use the same fucking bullshit response. Oh, I want to set the record straight. Like, without you, without the opposing politician, the record won't be set straight. The reporters, the fucking people who are knowledgeable about this shit, they don't. That's their job. They're they're actually setting it straight. You're just giving one fucking side. Even you would admit that. Listen to this story. Three Iraqis and a Jordanian filed federal lawsuits today alleging they were tortured by U.S. defense contractors while detained at the Abu Ghraib prison in Iraq in 2003 and 2004. This shit's just starting to trickle out. We're going to be paying for this shit for a long time. People are going to be coming forward and saying, man, they fucking connected car battery to my balls. They fucking humiliated me. They made me get into one of those... um, you know, uh, well, who is that fucking cunt uh, that was taking all those pictures? They made me get into those fucking pyramid things like uh, that cunt did. And we're going to be fucking paying these people off for years, decades to come. Never mind the fucking international tribunals, the war crimes. You are seriously going to see this shit. The lawsuits allege that those arrested and taken to the prison were subjected to forced nudity, electrical shock, mock executions, and other inhumane treatment. They seek payments high enough to compensate the detainees for their injuries and to deter contractors from such uh, conduct in the future. By the way, how fucking slimy to uh, have um, an un-American to have uh, these independent contractors not even really our own soldiers who are answerable, you know, to a code of conduct. These innocent men were senselessly tortured by U.S. companies that profited from their misery, said lead attorney Susan L. Burke of the Philadelphia law firm Burke O'Neill. These men came to U.S. courts because our laws, as they have for generations, allow their claims to be heard here, and as well it should be. Allegations of abuse at the Baghdad prison first erupted in 2004 with the release of pictures of grinning U.S. soldiers posing with detainees, some naked, being held on leashes or in painful and sexually humiliating positions. Eleven U.S. soldiers were convicted and five others disciplined in the scandal. But, of course, you know, as Grandma Jester used to say, the fish stinks from the head down. So throwing a few patsies in fucking jail... When you know it's this filthy, sneering Dick Cheney that's behind the whole thing. 
I just want to shoot the whole day down. Boomtown Rats on JR. Please don't fuck with that dial. It's Monday, June the 30th, the year of our Lord, 2008. And you're listening to the ravings of a clown on Jester Radio.
U.S. forces give the nod. It's a setback for your country. Bombs and trenches all in rows. Bombs and threats still ask for more. Burning the Midnight Earl on Jester Radio. Boomtown Rats before that. I don't like Mondays. But in fact, it is uh, Monday, June the 30th, the year of our Lord, 2008, hanging in the Jester Radio chat room with uh, S. Poe and L. And as uh, Santa Claus would say, Yo, L. Wait. Uh, What else? Yeah. 
with hundreds of wildfires raging across remote, rugged parts of California for a second week. Fire officials have been forced to strategically choose which to fight and which to leave burn for weeks, even months. You know that song, We Don't Need the Water, Let the Motherfucker Burn? That's what, the, you know, you gotta, they got to pick their battles. It's not like, you know, we have $850 billion to spend on putting out fires. Oh, wait. The number of fires burning in central and northern California, more than 1,000, according to state fire officials, means authorities can't send firefighters to battle every blaze, according to Jason Kirchner, spokesman for the U.S. Forest Service. It's like eating an elephant. You've got, <laughs> you've got to eat it one bite at a time, he said. What a bizarre and strange analogy. It's like eating an elephant. It's like you're saying that and expecting us all to go, oh, right, yeah, good point. Yeah, last time I ate an elephant, took a while. It's also impossible to attack wildfires in some rugged remote areas because the risk to firefighters is too great, he said. We have to take a step back, figure out where the best place is to make a stand, and sometimes wait for the fire to come to us in those situations, he said. We've got to pick the battles we can win. Long-running wildfires are not unusual in California. It was four months before firefighters controlled a blaze that blackened more than 240,000 acres of Santa Barbara country, um, County backcountry last year. What is extraordinary this year is the number of fires burning at the same time, according to this uh, Kirchner feller. Uh, the week of June 21st, some 1,200 fires were burning, a figure Forest Service officials said appeared to be an all-time record in California. The Forest Service put the figure at about 600 today. It attributed the gains to its tactic of attacking small fires first and to significant assist from other states and Canada. State officials, however, counting more than 1,000 ongoing blazes, the source of discrepancy was a, a, apparently a different counting method. It's a different counting method. And by the way, this is the nature of um, these numbers that we get from the government, is they just fucking mean shit. Because they'll say, oh, there's 600 fires, and you go, but what about why do they say there's 1,000 fires? They go, oh, well, we, we don't count the each fire. <laughs> we go, okay, we'll count that one. Nah, let's not count that one. We have a different method of counting. Well, does your counting include counting them all? No, we, we skip many of them, in our method. And speaking of counting, here's an interesting fact. The Supreme Court's landmark ruling on gun ownership last week focused on citizens' ability to defend themselves from intruders in their homes. You know, we've always um, taken the position here that that's just a crock of shit because there really are no reliable statistics about self-defense um, and handgun ownership, and we know. We live in this fucking world, and we live in your world, and we fucking know. This is not about self-defense. It's about liking to play with guns. And you know what? That's okay, because the individual's um, rights um, trump the rights of the state. So even though it may be better for society for there not to be guns, um, it's not better for the individual. And we all, as a society, don't punish the majority for what the minority does, which is what gun restriction would do. But check out this fucking little statistic. 
Research shows that surprisingly often gun owners use the weapons on themselves. Duh. Obviously, people go through suicidal down moments, you know, all the time. If you have access to a gun, an easy and quick way to take your life, then you're more likely to use it than if you don't. That's another step you got to go through. Go out, get a gun. And what if part of the reason you're depressed is you don't have enough money? Then you certainly don't have enough money for a gun. But tell me, what do you think the percentage is of the handguns? There were 30, 31,000 firearm deaths in 2005, and suicides accounted for 55% of those 31,000 uh, um, firearm deaths. The most recent year for which statistics are available from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, there was nothing unique about th that year. Gun-related suicides have outnumbered firearm homicides and accidents for 20 of the last 25 years. So the, the, the Supreme Court, certainly all these people that argue about defense, self-defense as an argument for handguns, they're just making a disingenuous argument. Because they know that the world is not safer. Now, by the way, should the government be in the business of preventing suicide? Absolutely not. If Maybe a few of those people were fucking child molesters. Maybe a few of those people, if they had lived, their lives would have fucking gotten a thousand percent worse. I'm not saying we should be in the business. Certainly, I'm not saying we should have gun control to prevent people from killing themselves. I'm just saying, what a disingenuous bunch of lying sacks of shit that go around saying that this whole thing about uh, 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 owning guns is about self-defense. It's not. It's about owning guns because they dig guns, because they're fucking toothless hillbillies who get this amazing sense of power walking around with a handgun. And, and you know, you listen to conservative radio, which I do every day, because it's better to you know, know what they're saying than not. And all these people, you know, call in to, you know, Rush Limbaugh or fucking Mark Kaplan or whoever these people are. And they talk about, you know, uh, they, you know, uh, I, I, I want to defend my family. And there's been three break-ins in the past six years. And, you know, they all have these, like, you know, little statistics going. And then they go, and I just want to make sure they know when I'm walking across that Walmart parking lot that this bee's got a, still got a sting. Like, it's just all about this ridiculous fucking macho shit. Like, anybody's robbing this fucking old onion. 55% of firearm deaths. The most recent year, 2005, are suicide. And, for, and, and the um, suicides have outnumbered other gun-related deaths from firearms for the past 20 of the, of the past 25 years. Homicides accounted for 40% of gun deaths. Accidents accounted for 3%. The remaining 2% included legal killings, like when cops shoot people and cases that involve undetermined intent. Public health researchers have concluded that in homes where guns are present, the likelihood that someone in the home will die from suicide or homicide is much greater. Studies have also shown that homes in which a suicide occurred were three to five times more likely to have a gun present and households that did not experience a suicide. So the doing that, by the way, uh, is what's known in um, 
in statistics as a safety, when you do the reciprocal study, not just study how many people committed suicide that have a gun, but also how many people have a gun that committed suicide. And that makes the statistics more reliable, even after accounting for other risk factors. Um, the, the, the studies have shown that uh, the homes in which a suicide occurred were three to five times more likely to have a gun present. In a 5-4 decision, the high court on Thursday struck down a handgun ban enacted in the District of Columbia in 1976 and rejected requirements that firearms have trigger, trigger locks or be kept disassembled. The ruling left intact the district's licensing restrictions for gun owners. One public health study found that suicide and homicide rates in the district dropped after the ban was adopted. Duh. <laughs> How could it not? The district has also allowed shotguns and rifles to be kept in homes if they're registered, kept unloaded, and taken apart or equipped with trigger locks. And you know what? I'm perfectly okay, even if the numbers show that there's more homicides and more suicides um, and that there is no greater protection um, that, that people don't get robbed less and people aren't safer because they have handguns. Even though those statistics aren't there, that doesn't matter. It's a personal liberty. It's part of the Bill of Rights, which is a collection of personal liberties that are enumerated by our founding fathers. And I fucking stand behind each and every one of them. I think they are all still good today. Everyone's got the right to have guns. Everyone's got the right to keep their mouth shut if they're arrested. Everyone's got the right to be free from self-incrimination, to be free from illegal search and seizure, to have the right of free speech. All these things are good because they're personal freedom. And I don't believe that every drooling redneck that has a gun is going to go out and kill somebody. And the ones that are, I want them fucking prosecuted anyway, whether guns are legal or not. And, you know, the government cannot be in the business of preempting crime. The investigation of the disappearance of a 12-year-old girl zeroed in on her uncle today with police searching his home while he was being arraigned on sex charges in an unrelated case. This is Chelsea Vermont. Michael Jacques, a registered sex offender who was one of the last people seen with Brooke Bennett before she disappeared, pleaded not guilty to a charge of aggravated sexual assault and was held in lieu of $250,000 bond. Colonel James Baker, the head of the Vermont State Police, called Jacques a person of interest in Brooke's case at a press conference today. The other girl... A relative of Jacques says he assaulted her over a five-year period, beginning when she was nine years old and ending a few weeks ago. Authorities released an affidavit in which State Police Detective Sergeant William Jenkins said that the girl told police that when she was nine or ten, she was told by telephone call in a note left under her pillow that she'd been selected for enrollment in a program for sex and that Jacques was to be her trainer. you imagine? He left her a note... And he called her up and he said, yeah, you've been selected for a sex program and this filthy perv is going to be your trainer. The girl identified only as AR in court papers said that she was told two other girls were also in the program. The first one who does it lives and gets her and the second gets her throat cut, she told the police, according to the affidavit. At the home of this uh, Jacques, who's 42 years old in Randolph, Vermont, state police called in uh, state police from Connecticut and Massachusetts and used a helicopter and dogs to search the area. He's married to a sister of this girl's mother. Uh, he dropped her off at a convenience store in Randolph on Wednesday. She had told family members 
that she was going to meet a friend and visit a hospitalized relative of the friend, but police believe that was a lie. Investigators believe Brooke may have been found uh, rather bound for a meeting with an unknown individual with whom she's been communicating through MySpace. Surveillance video from the store showed her and Jacques leaving the store and going in separate directions. Now, what do we do? You know, the Supreme Court also came out and said that we can't kill uh, child rapists. And the question is, unemotionally, calmly, don't bring up my mother, what do we do with these people who um, prey on and, and uh, molest children? Um, you know, I'll certainly isolate them from society, but what else? Anything? Uh, do we, you know, cut their balls off so they fucking can't do it again because we have no other way of protecting society? You know, I just, uh, they they have this thing called chemical castration now where if you take this certain drug, it just makes your balls shrivel up and atrophy and go away. It's called the testicle dust in the wind drug. So... What do you think? 646-502-8600. Dan Fogelberg on JR. Please don't fuck with that dial.
next in line to love Then ignore, put on, put away And so you'd soon be leaving me alone Like I'm supposed to be tonight, tomorrow and every day There's nothing here that you'll miss I can guarantee you this Is a cloud of smoke Trying to occupy space What a fucking joke What a fucking joke To separate the both of us And take me off far away from you Cause my feelings never change a bit I always feel like shit I don't know why I guess that I just do You once talked to me about love And you Never, never left And I could have gone to that place But I didn't understand I didn't understand I didn't understand
Cause I've made my mind up forever to be mine. I tell you right now. And in, oh, sorry. So, <laughs> one of these days we're going to be as good as one of those crappy college stations. That was part of uh, Donovan Leach, Sunshine Superman, Elliot Smith before that, Acapella, and it was all just a bunch of Elliots. And uh, did a little Danny Harry, Danny Fogelberg at the start of that set. You're tuned into the Ravings of a Clown on Just Radio this Monday, June the 30th. Floyd Landis used the arbitration process as public theater to try to prove a point and regain his reputation in the latest attempt that almost certainly will be his last. The anti-doping establishment slapped down the one-time 2006 Tour de France winner once more, ruling Landis didn't play fair on the bike or in the hearing room. A three-person panel at the Court of Arbitration for Sport agreed with the previous panel's decision, ruling today that Landis's positive doping test at the Tour two years ago was indeed valid. He will not regain the title he won with a stunning comeback in Stage 17, a rally many thought was too good to be true. And that turned out to be fueled by synthetic testosterone. Thus ended Landis's long, bizarre, very public, multi-million dollar journey through an arbitration process he claimed is rigged against athletes, especially the ones that are taking drugs. As one final insult, CAS told Landis he must pay $100,000 toward the legal fees of the U.S. anti-doping agency. I'm saddened by today's decision, Landis said in a statement. I'm looking into my legal options and deciding on the best way to proceed. In its 58-page decision, the panel at Sports Highest Court said the French lab that analyzed Landis's positive test results followed international standards, disagreeing with one of Landis's key accusations, much like the arbitration panel that ruled on the case before. CAS conceded the lab used some less-than-ideal laboratory practices, but not lies, fraud, forgery, or cover-ups which is what the Landis camp had alleged. In the end, the panel saved its hardest criticism, or harshest, I should say, criticism for the 32-year-old cyclist from uh, Murrieta, California. CAS said his lawyers tried to muddle the evidence and embarrass the French lab and continued on that course even after the evidence was shown not to exist. The strategy continued all the way through the closing briefs. The panel has found no evidence at all to sustain any of these serious allegations, the decision read. Moreover, the panel is surprised that such serious allegations should be pursued in the closing brief when it must have been clear at the end of the hearing that there was no evidential basis or from expert testimony or otherwise to support them. So they just uh, muddled through with this, you know, phony test uh, bullshit. And this is what, you know, defense teams do. But, you know, it really only works on juries because juries are stupid. When you're arguing against a panel of judges, you know, they're judges. Accidents of uh, medical aircraft are a disturbing, uh, at a disturbing level, a federal safety official said today as he arrived at the scene where two helicopters collided, killing six people in Flagstaff, Arizona. We're very concerned about that, National Transportation Safety Board Chairman Mark Rosinger told Jester Radio, we're going to work very hard, very hard make sure we understood exactly what's happened here and make recommendations to prevent it from happening again. The collision 
yesterday near Flagstaff Medical Center killed both patients, critically injured a nurse, rained debris near a residential area. Two emergency workers suffered minor burns in an explosion in the wreckage of one of the aircraft. It kind of scares me, said Lawrence Gordano, who lives nearby. If this had happened a half mile closer, it could have fallen on her house. There have been nine serious accidents with emergency medical aircraft this year, six of them involving helicopters. NTSB spokesman Ted uh, Lepatikowitz said 16 people died in the helicopter accidents, including the six in uh, this Sunday's crash, which has been the largest death toll. Rosinger told, uh, said that the numbers were a disturbing trend. One of the helicopters that crashed yesterday was carrying a patient with a medical emergency from the Grand Canyon. And the helicopter was operated by classic helicopters of Woods Cross, Utah. The other one, operated by air methods from Englewood, Colorado, was coming from a nearby community of Winslow. The victims from the classic helicopter were identified as pilot Tom Caldwell, pa- uh, 54, paramedic Tom Clausing, uh, 36, and the P- Grand Canyon patient himself, Michael McDonald, 26. Flight nurse James Taylor, 36, was in critical condition. On the other helicopter, the victims were identified today as uh, pilot Pat Graham, 50. Flight nurse Sean Shreve, 36, and patient Raymond Zest, 54. We've been in business 20 years, and these are the first fatalities that we've experienced, said Matt Stein, a pilot with Classic Helicopter subsidiary, Classic Lifeguard, Aeromedical Services in Page, Arizona. They were all heroes. They were all doing great service in their communities, blah, 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 blah. Man, I tell you, when the fucking hospital helicopters start bashing each other in the middle, you know, in midair, you know, uh, you always see these um, ambulances go tearing down the fucking street, making, you know, going through red lights, making impossible turns, and you think to yourself, well, these, you know, people are specially trained, aren't they? Hey, the request lines are open, uh, com. Click on request, tell us. What you want to hear, we'll get it on the air within 15 minutes, or I have my left testicle surgically removed, live on air, without the benefit of anesthesia. Chester Radio chat room open, hanging with Louie and S. Poe. And yours truly, why not stop by and say, how do we do? Make sure you wear that price tag on your hat. Uh, 646-502-8600 gets you live on the air. Peter and Gordon on Chester Radio. I get so shaky and I feel so weak I tell my eyes look the other way But they don't seem to hear a word I say And I go to pieces and I want to hide Go to pieces and I almost die every time My baby passes by I tell my arms to hold someone new Another love that will be true But they don't listen, they don't seem to care They reach for her, but she's not there And I go to pieces and I want to hide Go to pieces and I almost die every time My baby I remember what she said when she said goodbye, baby, we'll meet again soon, maybe, 
so lonely, think about her only. I go to places we used to go, but I know she'll never show. She hurt me so much inside. Now I hope she's satisfied, and I go to pieces, and I wanna hide. Go to pieces, and I almost die every time. My baby passes by. Go to pieces, and I cry every time my baby passes by. Go to pieces, and I cry. Just call me angel 
the sun's light will be dim And it won't matter anyhow If morning's echo says we've sinned Well, it was what I wanted now And if we're victims of the night I won't be blinded by the light Just call me angel of the morning sun's light will be dim and it won't matter anyhow if morning's echo says we've sinned well it was what i wanted now and if we're victims of the night i won't be blinded by the light just call me angel of the morning angel just touch my cheek before you leave me baby Merrily Rush on Just Radio. What a phenomenally hot thing to say for a chick to say in a lyric that, uh, you know, I'm not going to be the one, you know, to beg you to stay with me and that, you know, I'm cool with, uh, you know, having a one night stand. And if Morning's Echo says we've sinned, it was what I wanted now. Fuck that shit. Merrily Rush on Just Radio. You know, in today, in context of t- today's lyrics, it's not a, um, it's you know, no, certainly not a shocker. But in context of uh, when that song, you know, came out, it was um, it was pretty radical. Lloyd Price before that, with personality, that was the first live performance I ever saw when I was twelve years old. I went to um, somewhere out on Long Island, um, uh, some some college. Out on Long Island, we used to go to a lot of concerts there. I saw Canned Heat there. Uh, and I went to an oldies concert. There was like, you know, the Chiffons and the Shirelles and uh, a lot of um, of the, you know, great 50s groups. Um, I went with uh, David Plotkin. And Lloyd Price um, came out first. He was the first uh, artist to come out, and he did that song, Personality, and my fucking jaw just dropped open. And I remember thinking, holy crap, he sounds just like the record. Peter and Gordon started that set, I Go to Pieces, and you're listening to The Ravings of a Clown this Monday, June the 30th, the year of our Lord, 2000. 
and eight. I was a big uh, Lloyd Price um, fan. Uh, he had that tune, you know, Laudie Miss Claudie, and uh, it was his version of Stagger Lee. That's the one that I grew up with. And I think he actually went from that tune into Stagger Lee. Amsterdam police say 15 camels, two zebras, and an undetermined number of llamas and pot-bellied pigs escaped from a traveling Dutch circus after a giraffe kicked a hole in the cage. <laughs> the giraffe was like, come on, boys, we're busting out of here. Police spokesman Arnud Aben said the animals wandered in a group through a nearby neighborhood <laughs> for several hours after their 5.30 a.m. breakout. You could imagine people just waking up, sitting down at a cup of coffee, and they just see this clump of 50, 15 camels, <laughs> two zebras, and an undetermined number of llamas just cruising down the uh, neighborhood streets. The animals were back at the circus later today after being rounded up by police and social and cir cir circus workers, not social workers, with the assistance of dogs. Aben says neighbors fed some of the animals, which he said was a bad idea, but they were tame and nobody was hurt. He said, you have to imagine somebody rubbing his eyes first thing in the morning and saying, am I seeing things or are there 15 camels walking past? A Manchester, Connecticut man has been arrested after he allegedly strolled along Interstate 291 wearing nothing but a thong, fake breasts, and a wig. We reported on this last week. Police said they received several calls about the man, which prompted an hour-long search over the weekend. Police said they found the suspect on Saturday fully clothed and collecting cans behind a business in Manchester. Police said they also found a wig and fake breasts in his car. Uh, the man, 42 years old, was charged with disorderly conduct and trespass, and he's now free after posting $2,500 bail. So apparently not homeless, got a car, posted bail. British high school student in London received credit for writing nothing but a two-word obscenity on an exam paper because the phrase expressed meaning and was spelled correctly. Now, this is fucking how you do it, man. This is great. The Times newspaper today quoted examiner Peter Buckroyd as saying that he gave the student who wrote uh, fuck off two points out of a possible 27 for the English paper. It would be wicked to give him a zero because it does show some very basic skills we're looking for, like conveying meaning and spelling. <laughs> These are high school students. High school students are, giving, are getting two points for writing fuck off on an exam. This is why Johnny can't read. It's better than someone that doesn't write anything at all, he said. Buckroyd said the student would have received a higher mark if the phrase had been punctuated. <laughs> so, like, if it said, fuck off, with question mark. Buckroyd is a senior examiner for the Assessment uh, and Qualifications Alliance, one of several bodies that grade British high school exams. He said the expletive was used in 2006 by a student in response to the question, describe the room you're sitting in. The Alliance confirmed the newspaper story was accurate, but said Buckroyd's decision to award the student marks was not official policy. The exam cited was unique in the experience of the senior examiner concerned and was used in a pre-training session to emphasize the importance of adhering to the mark scheme. 
That is, if a candidate makes any sort of response to a question, that it must be at least given consideration to be awarded a mark, the company said in the statement. It also said that obscenities on exam papers should either be disregarded or action will be taken against the candidate depending on the seriousness of the case. So there, right, writ- right written in- into their policy is this, you know, if somebody uses obscenity in a paper, you could use, you know, you could take that into consideration or let it slide. And he chose to let it slide. And that's a great policy. But I obviously don't think we should be awarding children uh, points for writing fuck off on the paper because uh, at least, you know, they spelled fuck properly. So that's a sort of, um, uh, you know, an attempt at, uh, you know, pushing uh, kids, you know, the square pegs through round holes because... Uh, you know, making excuses for them instead of, you know, just deciding, you know, you ask any fucking teacher, you know, and they'll tell you that, you know, 10% of their students are taking up 60% of their time. The slow ones, the nasty ones, the stupid ones, the ones that don't want to be there, the ones that ask fucking questions, the ones that have borderline personality disorder, the ones that are being, uh, you know, maladjusted or abused at home. The whole fucking system is ridiculous. Anytime you force people uh, to attend something, it automatically goes from whatever that thing was to prison. So how could, how could anything positive happen under such circumstances where people attend, uh, you know, mandatorily? How could anything good come of it, even if they're children, even if they're just children? We just seem to take into, you know, assume that children could be, uh, could tolerate that kind of pressure and, uh, you know, level of unfairness. And we just assume that because, after all, who's going to fucking stop us? The children? They're just children. (laughs) They can't do anything. Same thing, you know, like with animals. We treat them in a way and then we say, oh, this is what's best for them. But, of course, it's completely untested and uncontested. King Harvest on Jester Radio. We get it almost every night when the moon gets big and bright. That's right. It's Supernatural Delight. Dancing in the Moonlight with Jester Radio. We get it almost every night. And when that moon gets big and bright, it's supernatural. i 
girlfriend loves me. Kaiser Chiefs on Jester Radio. King Harvest before that. You've been listening to the Ravings of a Clown this Monday, June the 30th. Thanks so very much to all of you who spent a little of your time with us this evening. Extra special thanks go out to all those that sent in requests. In case we haven't gotten to them, we will. Excuse me. Hang on. I have a cough switch. I just didn't get to it. Something's, uh, you know how these things happen um, in clumps? You know, people always say people die in threes and shit like that. Well, there's this interesting thing going on uh, where all these people around me are going through these breakups. I um, told you the other day about uh, Richie in uh, Brooklyn. He's breaking up with his longtime girlfriend. She's the... um, you know, I knew I wasn't going to fucking remember. But she's this, you, you, you've you've seen her a million times. She's some incredibly hot but insecure uh, keyboard player. And um, they were planning on doing all kinds of shit and moving in together. And now he sort of feels, you know, relieved in some ways. And his fucking heart is broken. And he feels like he's going through a death, you know. We've talked about this before. There are these five stages of grief, which I have... Uh, spent a good deal of my life in one of them <laughs> and as such have compounded and a sort of more a detailed list which i refer to as the jester's 19 stages of grief so like the other one it starts out with denial but then goes into a stage of rage followed by like six more Stages of rage. <laughs> then there's the bargaining, and then you go back to like four more rages. So there's a lot of that. And uh, so poor Richie is going through that. And I tell you, you know, I saw, I'm very, very sympathetic. But this is the longest I've ever been in my life since I was 11 years old, since I first started having sex, that I didn't have a partner. And it's uh, basically a year now, I guess. And um, it's just... Um, Sort of a whole new perspective for me. Because I'm I'm at the point where, not that I'm not horny constantly, but I'm at the point where I'm really not, like, making it the number one priority, you know, like looking for a relationship. Which is kind of weird for me. So while I'm very compassionate towards these people, normally I'd always be in a sort of a stage myself that would make it difficult for me to relate uh, to my friends if they were going through a good you know part of their relationship and an up you know phase or a down one and then bob the engineer <clears throat> excuse me his girlfriend calls me yesterday and stops by the studio when bob isn't here and she comes in and she just basically whines for like two hours and you know i love her dearly she's really very very nice and she's very sweet and she's very smart and she's got good taste in music but she's crazy and, you know, she's just a kid, so, I mean, her brain is not fully formed, but she's, I think, a little extra crazy. She sort of probably thinks that a good relationship has a lot of screaming in it because of the, you know, way her family situation is. So she was whining to me about Bob and how she doesn't want it to be over and she's sick and she feels like it's a death and, you know, all this shit. And I'm, you know, sort of just listening and then 
counseling, like, you know, that bitch crazy, you know, or whatever you say. Uh, yeah, I hear you. That sucks. Oh, how terrible for you. That must be hurtful. You know, wow. And then Bob comes in today, packs up the fucking uh, bong, by the way, with um, some super, super sweet, um, like, um, blueberry. But that's besides the point. Uh, and then he starts telling me his point of view um, from his perspective uh, about what's going on in the relationship. And I'm like, listen, you know, and as far as he's concerned, he's finished with this chick. That's it. So she's just gone nuts too many fucking times uh, in front of his family and friends um, to, you know, just fucking take it anymore. So, but I'm listening to all his shit, but I'm, the, the weird thing is all these people are breaking up and I'm not sort of going through something about it myself. While I'm, I feel bad for these people, I sort of feel like um, oddly detached from it all, as if this whole breaking up and romance thing isn't really, you know, like a part of my uh, deal anymore, which is, you know, very unusual for me. Uh, you know, in case you sense it, I'm hesitant to say I like it. I like, I really like being on my own because... It's a, it's a, you know, scary thing for me to say, but the truth is I really fucking like it, man. I really do like it a lot. Jefferson Parish Sheriffs uh, in um, Materi, Louisiana, uh, say that a 22-year-old man stole a deputy's car, took it for a joyride on the mighty Mississippi across the levee before driving it into the river. Sheriff Newell Norman says that the suspect was apprehended while swimming in said water. Norman said that a deputy was responding to a complaint in uh, Materi around 6 a.m. on Sunday. When he went to return his car, he found that it was gone. A few minutes later, the St. Charles Parish Sheriff's Office notified Jefferson Parish deputies that a police unit was driving erratically on the levee. <laughs> the deputies said that they saw the car drive into the water. Norman said that the man has a lengthy prior criminal record. Uh, for armed robbery, simple robbery, disturbing the peace, DWI, as well as numerous narcotics change, uh, charges. Drivers suspected that, uh, the uh, divers, I should say, suspended their search for the submerged squad car around uh, midday yesterday, but deputies said the department might use sonar equipment <laughs> to uh, retrieve it. Yeah, Louie's right. I did get laid on um, a uh, cruise last year. I think that was the last time I got laid. A year ago. I, it's been a year since I've gotten laid. A man who auctioned his life. That's the longest since I, was, uh, since I started having sex, which was very young. A man who auctioned his life, his house, his car, his job, even his friends on eBay said today that he's disappointed with the selling price. About 384 grand, Ian Usher, a British immigrant to Australia, put everything he owned as well as introductions to his friends on the online auction site after a painful breakup with his wife prompted him to want a fresh start. Bidding closed yesterday reached nearly 384 grand, an amount Usher said his house in the western city of Perth was worth on its own. How come he didn't get a lot of extra money for all those friends that he was going to introduce them to? He couldn't understand. I guess I'm a little bit disappointed at the final price. I had hoped to be higher than that, Usher told 
Just Radio today, but I'm committed to selling and moving on and making a fresh start. He declined to reveal the buyer's identity or what the next step would be. Usher said that he had hoped to get at least 480 grand for his life, his house and all its contents, car, motorcycle, jet ski, skydiving gear, an introduction to friends, and a trial period in his job, but that the final result was enough for him to make a new start in life. He didn't get the three four hundred eighty. He got three hundred eighty-four. He's disappointed that his house full of crap, his fucking motorcycle, his skydiving gear, and his jet ski wasn't worth more than just the house alone. But you know, there's another thing that we've been seeing a lot of is um, this sort of um, uh, people not just breaking up with their relationships, but sort of wanting out of their whole fucking life. And I remember, you know, back in the day when I was, you know, working in a, you know, family business and taking home 400 grand, I would, you know, walk out of the office with a bonus check with my brother and we'd both have drawn ourselves a nice healthy little bonus check and we'd walk down to the parking lot where we kept our cars and we'd be, you know, walking across 23rd Street and he would say to me, we could we could make start a whole new life with this, make a clean slate. It was like a it was like a running gag, but there's something so sexy, and so um, tempting about just chucking it all. And here's another one. Uh, there's a woman in Palm Beach Gardens. She tried nightclubs, online dating sites, but now 42 year old single mother is looking for love where everyone else's heart is breaking. The real estate market. After a year of trying to sell her four-bedroom home and eight years of singledom, Devin Trebosh is offering her South Florida home and a shot at marrying her on the Internet. So she's selling house with pussy is, I guess, how it's listed. I figure let's combine the ad because I'm looking for love and I'm looking to sell my house, said Travish, a Barbie-esque blonde who teeters around the nearly 2,000-square-foot house in patent leather heels. Marry a Princess Lost in America, Tribish wrote in the ad she posted on eBay and Craigslist last week. She describes a life of romance and travel, a home decorated with vaulted ceilings, upgraded tile, and a soaking tub in a gated community with pool and tennis courts. I can't see anything in the ad that, uh, you know, says anything about the the fitness of the v- vagina. So if she's selling her her body along with the house... You would, I mean, you know, just a, you know, some more, you know, like maybe a little comment, you know, about the, you know, whether or not there's a lot of extra labia or something, something. Because you can't tell unless you get down right in there. Trebish, a licensed real estate agent who hasn't practiced. So sometimes you have like a very sort of young, hot looking chick and her fucking pussy looks like a gunshot wound. And sometimes you have this fucking, you know, 50-year-old broad and her pussy looks like it was came out of the factory the other day. I don't know how they do it, but I do know they have these labia uh, trimming down operations. And I honestly got to tell you, I can tell when a chick's got phony breasts, but I don't know how to tell, you know, if she's had her, you know, labia uh, trimmed. I don't know what that looks like. Uh, she's a licensed real estate agent who hasn't practiced in years, uh, knew that she would struggle to sell the home in the troubled real estate market, but insists that her fairy tale ad isn't just a gimmick. I'm struggling 
I don't want to lose my house, and I want to find somebody, said Trebish, who changed her name in the ad to Trebashia to keep people from finding her in the phone book. So I came up with this dream plan because I've always dreamt about being a fairy tale princess. Well, there you go. And what better way to become one than through fucking Craigslist? She listed the home for three hundred and forty grand on a sell it yourself website, but upped the price, added a five hundred thousand dollars shipping fee <laughs> to include her companionship. Travis says eBay removed her ad, although she planned to change the wording and repost it under the site's prohibited services policy. eBay does not allow the sale of human beings, body parts, or relationships. According to spokeswoman Catherine England, Travis hasn't received any serious offers, but says she's had nearly 500 responses, mostly positive, mostly asking to send pictures of her nipples. She whips out her laptop to show off a picture of Claudio, a handsome Italian wine and cheese taster who she's been corresponding with since he responded to the ad, seated on a white leather love suite seat in her living room. She giggles almost girlishly about him. They're hoping to meet in Miami in a few weeks. She's gotten some criticism, too. Her 21-year-old daughter, Haley, says she just wants her mom to find love, but her 14-year-old daughter says that her mother is embarrassing her. Others have emailed to say that she's selling herself short. I'm not selling myself. I'm selling love to meet the true love, she said. Of course, I'm going to take more chemistry. Uh, it's going to take more chemistry and connection. It's not going to be instantaneous, and I'm just going to be automatically for sale. It's a package deal for true love. What? Trabish isn't the first to use the Internet to hawk the unconventional. A heartbroken Australian man recently tried to sell his life online, including his house, job, and friends. Others have sold body space promising to display ads to the highest bidder. There's a plethora of quirky ads on Craigslist that pop up uh, uh, every day, and this appears to be one of them. Spokesman Susan McTavish Best said in an email, scads of couples have met and thus married through Craigslist over the past 12 years, sometimes marrying the person who bought their tired old couch. Ideally, Travish hopes a European man will close the deal and says she's willing to move overseas. I know I'm putting myself out there. I'm sincere. I'm, I believe in true love. She says, I want to get married again. Well, there you go. What better way to attain true love than to sell your house along with all its furnishings, including you as another one of its furnishings? I'm changing from sunlight to moonlight. That's what I'm doing. And that's what Marmalade is doing here on Jester Radio. Please don't fuck with that dial. We'll be right back.
Together we can make it, baby From the poor side of town Shovel dance Brush away the cigarette ash That's falling down your pants And then you sadly wonder Does the nurse treat your old man The way she should She made you tea As for your autograph What a laugh for your autograph. Jethro Tull on Jester Radio, Johnny Rivers, and the Poe side of town. And uh, Poe and I saw Johnny Rivers last year. He's still alive and breathing. Marmalade started that set, Reflections of My Life. The world is a bad place. It's a bad place. A terrible place to live. But I don't want to die. And there you have it. I think that pretty much sums it up for me. Extra special thanks go out to S. Poe, Louie, and all those that stopped by the Jester Radio chat room or sent in requests. Please remember to be impeccable with your word. Don't take anything personally. Always make, uh, don't make assumptions. And always do your best. That's my solemn oath to you that we will meet in that place where darkness never comes. Until that time, let me tell you a little story. There is a man that I did not care for. And then one day, this man gave me a call. And we sat and talked about things on our mind, and now this man is a friend of mine. Don't be afraid to love. Friends and lovers, caps it this evening on Jester Radio. Thanks so very much for stopping by this Monday, June the 30th. I think it's so groovy that people are finally getting together. And hopefully we'll do it again tomorrow. Until that time, Houston. Good night.